Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I am your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Dave Burles Berlin. Here we are, Doc. Another Wednesday. Another great show. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, Dave. Amen. I do have to say, since the last show, Mm -hmm. I I got a little jealous of one of my friends. Word. I got a I got a little jealous. Um, let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. Okay. Uh, Dave, you know I'm a fan of cats. I'm a. You know that. I'm a big fan of big cats, especially big cats: tigers, leopards, jaguars, jaguars, lions, Florida panthers, snow leopards, cheetahs, the whole bunch. Jeez. Anyways, there's a place. I'm sure you're probably aware, Dave, in Jacksonville. You may have gone to it. It's called Caddyshack. Have you been to Caddyshack? I, ha- I haven't, but I want to very badly. Yes, we need to go. Me and you, we need to go. Yes. Let's let's please. hit it up. Um, it's a date. Well, I, I don't know if you know this, Dave. It is a date. It's settled. Date. Yes. Um, I don't know if you know this, Dave. It's number one out of the 157 things listed on TripAdvisor to do in Jacksonville, number one is Caddyshack Ranch. Wow. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, number one. Forget a football game. Forget the zoo. Forget the beach. Number one, partying with big cats at Caddyshack Ranch. That's right. Oh, dang. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let me just give the listeners some info about their residence. So they've got Skywalker. He's the Black Leopard. Yeah. Sweet. Skywalker. They've got Freddy. Dope name. Freddy, who's 400 pounds of King of the Jungle. Just a big old majestic lion. Just mane going everywhere. So true. They've got Sheba. She's the Bobcat. She's got a banshee screech and cool little pointy ears. Yeah. And they've got Dozer. A young majestic Siberian tiger. They got a whole bunch. They got Runnies. Runny, uh, Runty, who is a Runty. beautiful white tiger. She's got pale blue eyes. Yeah, and that's just that's oh. just the tip of the iceberg, Dave. I mean, they got a whole posse over there, big cats, just a whole crew, just a whole crew. And the reason I bring this up, Dave, is I have a friend who is a uh, who is a zoologist. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, she worked at the Jacksonville Zoo for a while. That's right, and. Uh, She's sort of connected with all of the animal sanctuaries in Jacksonville. Like, she knows, you know? She knows people at all the different places that have wildlife. A, I'm sure it's a small little, you know, network. It's a click, yeah. It's yeah. A, it's an animal click. Well, right. um, my friend, the zoologist, she got to party with these regal beasts what? this past week, oh, Dave. So yeah. jealous. This past week... Caddyshack called her up and was like, hey, we're a couple people short. We need some people to help feed and work with the animals. And she was like, cool, I'm down. Yeah. Say what? Yeah. So when she told me that, I was like, hey, will they let me do that? 
And she was like, um, hmm. probably not considering you don't have any experience in animal care and you don't have a zoology degree. And I was like, whoa, Girl, come on. whoa, I'll have you know that I took animal behavior as a biological elective in undergrad and, and I care for and protect six highly endangered big cat stuffed animals that I purchased from World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> so true. That, that makes yes. you more qualified than most, honestly. Right? Right? But apparently that wasn't enough to convince her, Dave. Nope. And How she weird. also said that that was too many stuffed animals for a man in his 30s to have, and I didn't care. Yeah, you so, you should have lied and, and halfed it. Girl, come on! <laughs> <laughs> no way, dude. Each one of those helped protect those animals. It's worth it. Yes. Anyways, I responded to her. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'll find another way. Bottom line, Dave, I'm a little bummed that she got to party with lions and tigers and leopards, and I did not. I'm, now, I'm jealous, too. I do want to ask you, Dave, obviously none of these uh, animals would make good pets because they'd probably tear you apart. Yes. But hypothetically, mm-hmm. what big cat would you want most as a, as a pet? Dude, you know you don't even have to ask me that question. Hmm. Jaguar? Jaguar, a thousand percent. Growing nice. up, albino tiger. Wait, what? Mm. But Wow, that's intense. I, I just love Duval so much. That's it. And if the jaguars leave me ever, I'm going to have this jaguar for like 40 years. Yeah. However long they live for. Yeah. You're going to have to get a lot more meat. They're going to eat a lot more meat than Storm. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're some meat eaters. I think That's a fact. it's a little bit of a curveball, Dave. I think I'm going snow leopard. Hmm. You know? I, I mean, I could see that. You kind of like to be like out, like undercover, like yeah. not really being noticed. Yeah. Creeping. But you like to move Creeping. around a lot. Yeah. yeah. I know that. You. I know they got a bad rap in Kung Fu Panda. So true. You know? But uh, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, they're pretty. I got a couple points here. First, they've never been known to kill a human. They've never killed one, nope. ever. So there you go. That's good. That's first mm-hmm. first on the list. Two, That's been correctly documented. Yeah, yeah. They may have killed one off there in the mountains somewhere we never saw, but still, none actually written down in pen, mm-hmm. pen and paper. What? Um, second, mm-hmm. they've got a big old fuzzy tail, Sweet. which they wrap around them like a blanket when they're sleeping, and it's cold. Mm-hmm. It's adorable, mm-hmm. and it's cozy. I like that. Yes! Three, okay. unlike other big cats, they can't roar. Nope. Yeah. So oh, that's okay. that's pretty good. So it won't scare the so for domestic. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You're like you know sleeping one night and all of a sudden it just roars and you you pee your pants and you're like, come on, man, <laughs> not again, jeez. And and last bonus, they purr. Yes. So there you go. That's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, side note, I will settle for a Eurasian lynx. If I can't if I can't get a snow leopard, I'll, I'll settle for a Eurasian lynx. So there you go. <laughs> they got they've got big fuzzy ears. I like those. The lynx they're, nice. they're a little bit smaller and yeah, and they're cute. You know. Yeah, yeah, and they don't have they actually have a full tail unlike a uh, uh, bobcat. You know, with yep. its little bob tail there. Uh, okay, now while we work on getting that snow leopard as the mascot for the Doc G show, are you ready to fire this thing up, Dave? Let's fire it up. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one. Zero and lift off. Woo! Dave, we have big time guest on the show today. Big time guest. Yes! Uh, we have Leah Song. Leah Song from the fantastic group Rising Appalachia. 
Oh my gosh. These sisters, they've done it all, Dave. They played everywhere. They get millions of streams. They got hundreds of thousands of fans. And Leah is going to be kind enough to spend some time with me today. Chat about their career. We're going to hear some of their tunes. I can't wait. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. But first, we need to start where we start. Birthday suit. Yes, sir. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Okay, Dave, let me let me check real quick. Um, I'm very, uh, well, yeah, I'm very sure about the first one. You got that one. Okay. Uh, the second one and the third one, ooh, hmm, maybe, maybe, not. maybe not so much. Uh, third one, I'm pretty confident about, too. Second one, no, not confident. Okay. Okay, here we go. Born on February 26, 1932. Jeez. In Kingsland, Arkansas. Our birthday suit wearer was the fourth of seven children. He grew up through the Great Depression as a child. He worked in the cotton fields with his family. When our birthday suit wearer was 12, he saw his brother nearly cut in two from a table saw. Eventually, his brother died from the injury. This experience followed him throughout his life and added to a bunch of depression that our birthday suit wearer suffered from. At the age of 18, our birthday suit wearer enlisted in the Air Force. After he got out of the Air Force, he moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where he sold appliances and tried to start a music career. Our birthday suit wearer auditioned for Sam Phillips several times, eventually convincing Sam Phillips to record with him. He released Hey Porter and Cry, Cry, Cry as his first singles. Mm -hmm. His next record released was Folsom Prison Blues. Hmm. As his career took off, he became a heavy drinker, and he also became addicted to amphetamines. In 1967, his duet with June Carter titled Jackson won a Grammy Award. In 1968, he recorded a live album at Folsom Prison, which reached the top of the Billboard charts and sold over six and a half million albums. Jeez. Our birthday suit wearer is in five music halls of fame, including the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, and the Memphis Music of Hall of Fame. Name that birthday suit wearer. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is correct. Yes. Let's go. I was a little uh, worried I to, there. I had to get everything. I was, I was soaking it in. You know, absorbing. Now, have you seen Walk the Line? Hmm. I did a long, long time ago. Okay, okay. Well, I thought maybe, I thought maybe if you had seen it somewhat recently, or at least remembered it fully, that that uh, the brother dying would have cued it for you. But I, I was that, that was something I was trying to think about because I remember. Like, yeah, I remember that part, but I couldn't put a f- name to a face or anything like that. They put they put a little bit of m- movie magic on it. It didn't really mm-hmm. happen exactly the way that they have it in the movie, but yeah, pretty pretty obviously super dramatic there. Um, oh, yeah. And then of course he he made it famous uh, playing at uh, Folsom Prison. Which uh, side note, I'm actually gonna ask Leah about that. Uh, App uh, Rising Appalachia played at the largest correctional facility in Colorado two years ago. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But Johnny Cash, man, a legend in music, a legend in country, a legend in rock. Johnny Cash. Great, great artist right there. Would have turned, let's see, what would that be? Uh, 88. Would have turned 88 today. I'm going to be an 88 for Johnny. Damn, 88. Yeah, yeah. He died of, uh, uh, from what I understand, diabetes complications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, happy birthday to Mr. Cash. All right. Dave, are you ready? Rip from the headlines. Let's rip it. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Got some good stories here, Dave. The first uh, story is from The Guardian. Do you own any Bitcoin? Hmm. No, I sold all my Bitcoin. Oh, but you had some. Yeah, I had like a little bit. Nice. Nothing to brag about. Well, well. I didn't make any money. I don't have any. Oh, okay. I don't have any. I don't have any. Nope. Uh... And I got to say, over the past couple of years, you know, as far as people actually using Bitcoin as a currency, it really only seems people doing illegal things have it as actual (laughs) currency. Well, uh, this fella was doing some illegal things here uh, in our next story. So uh, Clifton Collins, he's a a small-time drug dealer from Ireland. And um, he hadn't generated too much money from his marijuana business. He was mainly just Mm -hmm. selling marijuana. But he decided he was going to take his $30,000 he had made selling marijuana and buy as much Bitcoin as possible. And this was in 2011 when the price of Bitcoin was $5. Of course, over the next several years price of Bitcoin skyrocketed, and now it's currently around $10,000 for Bitcoin, right? So his initial investment of $30,000 went up to roughly $50 million. Wow. Um, You know, a nice nice increase in profits. Well, I'd say so. He decided to store his account codes, you know, because you got these secret codes to get into your Bitcoin accounts. Well, he uh, decided to store those account codes in a fishing rod case in his rented house. Hmm. That way, he cash out whenever he wanted uh, out of his Bitcoin. Wow. <laughs> well, in 2017, he was uh, pulled over by the police and was arrested for having a couple pounds of marijuana in his car. He was uh, sentenced to five years in jail. While he was in jail, he, uh, he couldn't pay his rent or just you know, sort of forgot to pay his rent. Eventually, his landlord uh, evicted his, his place and eventually threw away all the stuff in the house, including oh, no. the fishing rod. And he lost these codes. Those were the only copy of these codes. And wow. the high courts in Dublin, Ireland, ruled this past week that Collins had forfeited the accounts because they were proceeds of a crime. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Lost it just like that. That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Lost $50 million, roughly. Yeah. Wow. Dave, I, I know this isn't the point of the story, but by like 2017, shouldn't it be already clear to Clifton that he was sitting on, you know, a good enough, uh, good enough pile of money that he could have like stopped dabbling in the drug game at that point. 
You know, well, just yeah, call, you would call it a day. Like, I mean, you got $50 million. You, Even you if do. it's 10 at that point, like you're a small time, you know, nobody. You see just, 10 million. How do you not pull it out? Like, Just cash out, man. It, just cash exactly. out. And then also, this isn't the point of the story, but if you have $50 million, don't you think maybe uh, write the passcodes out a couple of times? So true. Like have a couple of backups, you know, just like a couple like I mean, or like, th there should. How does these things not have like a recover your password? <laughs> like, well, like <laughs> this isn't your passcode to Netflix. Nope. Like this is fifty million dollars. Like you, you might want to just uh, a couple things. I'm guessing there is something like some kind of recovery thing, but since he's in jail, he couldn't do anything about it. And then he mm -hmm. he went to court, and they judged you gave it up, bro. Sad. Right. Sad. Uh, Dave, Poor this guy. next story is from Cincinnati.com. Um, we determined last week, Dave, that luckily you've never been in a gunfight. That's a fact. Well, yep. a lady in Cincinnati thought she had just been in a gunfight this past week. Wait, what? She called she up the police. She thought she called up the police around 10 p.m. and told the dispatchers she'd been shot in the shoulder. Jeez. Right? Wow. And the police were dispatched with EMS. When they arrived on the scene, they determined that she had not been shot, but had been stung by an insect. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A little e different there. That's a fact. EMS treated her bug bite, and she was not charged with filing a false report. So, I got a couple things on this one, Dave. First of all, I feel like she knew it wasn't a gunshot. So true. And she, she just didn't want to drive herself to emergency care. So, she's like, you know what? Probably just call and say I got shot. Then they'll just come to me. Won't even have to do it. Sweet. So she's like, "Oh yeah, totally got, totally got shot. Uh, it's not a spider bite. Nope. Definitely a gunshot. You better come check this out. Yes. Like, how do you not know? Like, if she really, really thought she was shot with a gun, like, what did she think happened? Somebody sneaked, uh, snuck into her house, shot her with a silencer so strong that no one could hear it." And then realized he only glanced her shoulder, but he was like, oh, too risky. I got to get back out of this house without making a sound. Like, what? How? How? It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Crazy, Dave. Right. Crazy. Uh, Dave, how many goats do you own? I own zero goats. Girl, come on. Okay. Okay. Well, you're going to find this for, uh, surprising, Dave. I don't own any goats either. Wait, what? Um, really? Yep, nope. No goats. No goats. But, Dave... If you do decide to get some goats, please buy your goats. Don't steal them. That's a fact. This next story from uh, NBC Washington, D.C. Channel 4 is a story about what can go wrong if you try to steal some goats. So, uh, a farmer... Yeah, nice. Nice. Uh, a farmer and his wife were sitting around last Friday night when the wife uh, did what everybody would do on a Friday and said, Hey... I'm going to go check out our goats. Yes! And uh, she went out to check on the goats and found that their pen had been opened. <gasps> and someone oh. had let them out. She no. suspected the goats had not done this themselves. And someone was purposely trying to get to their goats. That's right. So she waited around with her husband and they saw a man enter the goat pen. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. shoot. Yeah. Her husband then held the suspect at gunpoint until the cops got there. 
When the cops got there, the farmer said he suspected that the man was intoxicated. Mm. And indeed, when the cops started talking to the suspect, he was slurring his words. However, when the cops busted out a breathalyzer to see how drunk the suspect was, the suspect then admitted, Nah, I'm not really drunk. It's just pretending to be. Word. It's just pretending. What? (laughs) What? And... He'd they given let him the, off is what he's thinking. He'd given <laughs> the cops a fake name as well. Oh, shoot. Then a little later in the interrogation, the farmer realized that the suspect had bought goats from him just the other day. Hmm. How did what? he not realize it at the very beginning? Because he was wearing a hood, Dave. He had a hood on when uh, they started. Yeah, uh, yeah. The suspect was then arrested and charged with larceny of animals. Uh, so a couple things, Dave. First, I guess, I guess, like you said, I guess he thought maybe you know, like if I'm a drunk guy stealing goats, that'd be better than a sober guy stealing goats, and they'll just let me go. Word, like exactly. Like then, second, why bother giving a cop a fake name? Hmm. Like, don't you realize they have a computer with everyone's identification in it? Like. Yeah. They There's can a look it up. That pops up. Exactly. And clearly see, yeah, that's not you. Nope. Like, it's not that hard. Lastly, right. this farmer's goats were so good, you had to steal more. Mm. Like, you bought a couple of goats and were like, these are good. These are sweet goats. These are but, sweet goats. <laughs> but I don't have any money. What do I do? Looks like I'm just going to have to steal some more. Like, weird. Weird, Dave. Weird. Dave. Our if next you story. Go, you want a goat, man? Apparently, that's a fact. And sadly, now he's in jail because he wanted that goat so bad. Uh, Dave, our next story is from ManchesterEveningNews.com in the UK. Okay. Dave, it's a fact of life. You have to have sexual education in schools. You know. You do. They do force you to have it. Yeah. Well, you know, if you don't, Randy kids, they'll end up making some bad mistakes. Not careful. Make some bad mistakes. So recently at Shevington High School in the United Kingdom, uh, one of their newest sexual education leaflets is getting a little negative feedback. And I I can see why. I can see why, Dave. So students were recently given a handout that said at the title, the title of this uh, leaflet was 101 Ways to Show Someone That You Love Them other than having sex. Hmm. Oh. Pretty, pretty good, right? Pretty good. Yeah. And so some of these, they, they made total sense, Dave. Like, uh, like here's one. Uh, cook them their favorite meal. That's nice. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Or, Very or th- appreciative. Th- this one. I mean, it's not as good. It's a little vague. But uh, be willing to compromise with them. I mean, okay. you know, sure. Then you get to 26 on the list, and that's where they really derailed. 26 on the list is suck on their toes. What? Oh, other than having sex, you suck on toes. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> how, is, how is that showing a person you love them? Is that showing you love them or that you're a sick freak with a foot fetish? Would you Which, suck on toes of someone you didn't love? No. What, I mean, Wait, what? Neither. 
neither <laughs> side of that that equation. I'm no. not sucking any toes either, but if I'm going to suck a toe, I'm going to love That's them. That's a fact. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Well, then they get back on track, Dave. They get back on track. So then they have one here. Uh, write their name in the sand. That's pretty good. That's pretty so good. you either suck their toes or you write their name in the sand. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're getting back on track. They're getting on back yeah. on track. Then 36, they derail again. 36 is propose marriage. Wow. What? Wow. What? I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this should be a list of 100 things. And then at the end, if it's like, hey, if you checked off all of these things, you've got no other choice. Marry that's them. That's a fact. Like, yeah. that's... Like well, you shouldn't be sucking toes until you're married. Yeah, well, like 36? <laughs> they just marry, They just buried Mary in between, and this is not an exaggeration. These are the two suggestions <laughs> on each side of being uh, uh, proposing marriage. The first uh -huh. is learn to say I love you in a different language, and the one on the other side is make a playlist for them. What? Wow. What? <laughs> and then in the middle is proposed marriage. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Oh Got it. And so so then they get a couple more. They get a couple more that are on um, on track. But then I got to say, they fall off, off track again with number 97. Number 97 is just never cheat on them. Hmm. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a good I idea. mean... I don't know if that's a way to show you love someone. More like that should be on another list that's 101 ways not to f head. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's, hey, like you can't use that on Valentine's Day. Like, hey, I didn't get you a gift, but never cheated on you. That's a fact. Am I never right? cheated. I'm Come loyal. on. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Then, 98 on the list. This one, this is weird. 98. Buy them some nice underwear. Oh man, I'm not. That's I'm not. Creepy. That's I'm weird. Not, I'm not an expert, Dave. But if you're if you're if you're trying 101 ways not to have sex with them, buying them underwear. I mean, no unless sex. unless they're just a bad wiper, is Ew. probably not the best idea. I'm just gonna say, it's just probably just just not. Nope, just not. No, don't do it. Anyways, they need to work on their list. Yes! They need to work on their list. Uh, you can okay. that guy walking around Victoria's Secret by yourself picking up underwear and just like, hmm, what do I think of this one? Well, and then you can tell them, hey, don't worry. It's just another way that I'm trying not to have sex with my loved one. Work. Don't worry yes. about it. And then they'll look at you like you're <laughs> mentally insane. So there you go. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, Dave, this next story is from MichiganLive.com. Uh, okay. Have you ever found any bombs in your house? What? No, never. Just good bombs. Wait, good, what? good. Well, uh, resident in Wyoming, Michigan, uh, they did, they did. Okay. So uh, this resident was coming through a dead relative's house when they found what seemed to be some hand grenades in the house. Uh, now instead of saying whoa explosives right um this resident just picked these up <laughs> took them on down to the wyoming public safety department and decided to ask the folks there if they were real or not mm. just sort of threw them on the table and was like hey these bombs 
And of course, uh, everybody freaked out, and the building had to be cleared, and the bomb squad brought in. Yes! Um, turns out... Goodness gracious. Co- turns out they weren't live ammunition. So that's good. That's good. But the sheriff had to make a, a public announcement afterwards that if ref, uh, residents find munitions, it's best to call. Don't carry the ammunitions in. So true. Good yeah. call, sheriff. Good call. <laughs> Like it. Nice. Nice, Sheriff. Very good recommendation. Okay. Um, Dave, this is the uh, last story here uh, of Rip from the Headlines for today. We've got a story uh, from Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Have you ever had a computer virus? Hmm. Yeah, it shut down one of my freaking laptops because it sucked. That's a fact. Hmm. Pretty annoying, am I right? Pretty annoying. Oh, dude, it's so frustrating because, like, all of a sudden nothing works and you're like, why? And then you're getting, like, random ads popping up. You haven't even clicked on anything. Yeah. It's yeah. frustrating. Now, uh, I'm guessing you uh, did one of two things. You probably either went to go have it removed by, by a computer professional, an IT professional, mm-hmm. or you bought a new computer. Am I right? Mm. Yep. New okay. computer. That's re- that's really your your two options there. Well, the folks at the center of this next story, um, they didn't have that same idea. Word. So, police in New Jersey got a tip from a New Jersey resident that someone had contacted them online asking if their computer had a virus. They did have a computer on a virus, and then the person claimed that they would fix the virus for a fixed sum of cash hmm. if they FedExed that cash to them. Word. The detectives... <laughs> yes, yes. The detectives were given a name of an individual and an address in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then the detectives followed it to Florida and staked it out. They traveled to the FedEx Distribution Center in Tampa, and they found multiple packages addressed to this man, Dontavius Oakley, and the address was the Roadway Inn Motel in Tampa. Hmm. They, in fact, found packages from Massachusetts, Mississippi, Missouri, Ohio, Oregon, Texas, totaling over $81,000 in cash to this man. Girl, come on! Promising, Man, what a bunch of dummies. Promising to fix the virus on their computer. Of course, he was not going to fix their computer. Nope. This was a scam, and he was arrested. Uh, Dave, do you remember the story we had a couple weeks back where the lady thought that a member of New Kids on the Block was asking her to cash checks for him via email for yeah, his charity? Yeah, he was in, like, Africa or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my advice is somewhat similar to the listeners on this one. You know, if you're looking through your emails and you get one that says, we'll get rid of your computer virus as long as you send us some cash Hmm. through FedEx. Probably not going to happen. It's fake. Yeah, it's (laughs) fake. And if you're not sure, if if you read it, you're like, seems like a pretty good deal. Just call up a trusted friend. Just call a trusted friend and be like, hey, I've got this computer virus, and I'd really like to get rid of it. 
and I've got this person saying to send $500 of cash, and they're asking me to send it to a roadway in motel. Hmm. What do you think? You think it sounds like a like a real opportunity? You, you need that good friend that'll t- put you in your place and not a yes man. Yeah. You want a person that says, what the heck are you doing, shakes you, and I do, I don't I don't know in the face. I don't know anyone that would agree with you on that one other than somebody that would just like to laugh at you for doing something stupid. Because That's my brother. Because <laughs> cash in the mail is never gonna happen, folks. Nope. And nope. a roadway in is not a computer IT business. Nope. It is no. not Roadway Inn. Nothing ever good has came from a Roadway Inn motel. I'm sorry, Roadway Inn motel. You're not high on the list of great motels. Let's just face it. So true. Let's just face it. Anyways, Dave, hopefully... Hopefully nobody else is sending their five hundred dollars. Some of our listeners learn yeah. from this and will never do yes, that. Yes, exactly, exactly. We are going to take a break. We are going to hear from our guest today, the talented, intrepid sisters Leah and Chloe. Chloe, better known as Rising Appalachia. This is uh, the song that I've been telling you about, Dave. This is the song. Ooh. I'll fly away off of their previous album filthy dirty south right here on the doc g show here we go some glad morning when this life is over i'll fly away to a home on god's celestial shores Every day. 
And we are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Dave? Guys, this is the time of the show where you go and you look at wherever you downloaded our podcast from, and you go rate us. Mm -hmm. Give us five stars. Yep. Or else you're going to be off the list, if you know what I'm saying. No, no, you'll still be on the list. You just won't be on. They're off the list. You won't be on the great list. The great list. Well, yeah, and we'll know who will vote for us and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Also, go check out the website, www.thedogshow.com or docgshow.com. Whichever one you want. Both Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Try both Um, of them. Test us. See if both of them work. He's put he's put a lot of cool stuff up there. So it's true. If you haven't checked it out in a while, you're slacking. It's true. It's true. Uh, Dave, well done. Uh, it's time for us to go to some shout outs. Time for us to thank the folks. If you don't vote for us, you're not gonna get shouted out. That's true. That is very there true, Dave. That is very true. Uh, so the regulars, of course. Jacksonville, Duval, home of, home of the Jaguars, home of Dave's favorite big cat. Uh, there you go. Columbia, South Carolina, Capital City, South Carolina. Shout out to them. Radford, Virginia, home of the Highlanders. Shout out to them. Out. Mountain View, California. A lot of listens from Mountain View this week. Shout out to those guys. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Charleston, South Carolina. Great city right there. Shout out to Charlotte, North Carolina, Queen City, all the way. Atlanta, Georgia, shout out to them. Hotlanta, home of Rising Appalachia. That's right. Original home. Now they're sort of international citizens. They're all over the place. But they grew up in Atlanta. Shout out to Dublin, Ireland, our international UK listeners. Shout out to Genoa, Italy. Our other international listeners. Shout out out to Maputo, Mozambique, our African and international Uh, listeners. Shout out out to Ashburn, Virginia, Doc G lovers. Yes. Shout out to Kenner, Louisiana. Yes, right outside of New Orleans. Shout out out to Citrus Heights, California. And lastly, shout out to Madison, Tennessee. Right outside of Nashville. Um, Love it, Dave. We've uh, we've got some semi regulars here. Um, Barcelona, Spain. First, shout out to them. Um, you know, for about a, for about a past month, they've been consistent every single week. They keep it up. They're going to that regular list, man. They're going to that like regular it. list. Yeah, they're yeah. earning it. San Jose, home of Matt Stoney. And I've got a little bit of news on that after we finish shout-outs. Yes, yes. Okay. Shout-out, Hamburg, Germany. Hamburg. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Love it, love it. They they go in streaks of of regularity. All of a sudden, they'll come in, they'll listen for several months straight. Yeah, and they got to take a little break, you know? And that's okay. Mm -hmm. They still come back. Thank you, guys. Uh, Houston, Texas. Shout out to those guys. Dallas, Texas. Shout out to those guys. Okay, Texas. Yeah. Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to those guys. Los Angeles. Shout out to those guys. And lastly on the semi-regulars list, Kingsland, Georgia. Shout out to Kingsland. Okay, Dave. It's time for the newcomers. Newcomers. New kids on the block. 
We've got uh, we've got uh, two. We've got two newcomers. Pretty excited about these newcomers. One, it's got, got the same name as one of our regulars. It's just in a different state. Oh. Yeah. Madison, Mississippi. Wisconsin. Shout oh. out. Yeah. So many Madisons. Yeah, Shy Madison, right? Dave, part of the metropolitan area of Jackson, Mississippi. Biggest city there in, okay. in Mississippi. Yeah. Named after right. founding father, James Madison. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Uh, now, Dave, I've been told if I go to Madison, I need to hit up the Smith Robertson Museum mm. uh, in Madison, uh, which is the first school for African Americans in Mississippi. Uh, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, it was named after Smith Robertson, a former slave uh, from Alabama that moved to Jackson, Mississippi after the Civil War. I mean, you know. That that doesn't sound like a good trade. I mean, if I was if I was African American and it was right after the Civil War, I'm not going anywhere in the South. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm no thank you. I'm going to like, I don't know, Ohio. I'm going to mm -hmm. New York. <laughs> he he went to Mississippi, uh, and he became a successful uh. barber and was the first African alderman in Jackson. He served on the city council. That's right. Wow. That's right. Good for him. Smith Robertson. Hats off. Good museum there in Madison, Mississippi. Uh, the next one, Dave. Next newcomer. Jarema Brazil. Jarema. Jarema. Yeah, Jarema. Uh, J-U-R-E-M-A. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, apparently, Dave, there's also a Jarema tree hmm. yeah. oh yeah and apparently okay. the bark has dmt that causes some hallucinations Word. and they have a jerema drink that's a little hallucin oh, hallucinatory yes oh, yeah man. i'm gonna be honest dave there's not Scary. that actually many people in the the town of jerema nope. i feel like the whole town listened to some jo doc g show and for that oh i want to thank them you know thanks Thanks, Jurema. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Uh, thanks to all the listens. We definitely appreciate it, for sure. Um, Every single one. Dave, I wanted to mention the thing I did want to mention. I uh, was taking a look back on things uh, as far as views and listens, the show, on the website, on uh, Instagram, and I found, the. you want to know what the most popular thing we've ever released has been? Hmm... Hmm. Uh, I'm going to say Blackberry Smokes interview. That's a good guess. I, I would think that too. But no, surprisingly, me eating broccoli. What? That is the most popular <laughs> thing we have put out. So because of that, I'm going to do another challenge. I'm going to see if I can beat my time. I'm going to see if I can oh. do it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to put out another one, and if I do, I'm going to get Matt Stoney to comment on it. We're going to see Yes. Going to see if I can impress him. I mean, I set the bar pretty low for myself. It was 23 minutes, so I think I can beat 23 minutes. I think I've You're got gonna it. You're going to do the broccoli one again? You're you, not going to do a different challenge? You, no, dude. Broccoli challenge. I got to better myself. I got to better where I was at, and that's the best way to see it. Challenge myself with the same challenge. Yes! But do it better, man. Do it faster. That's right. Eat that broccoli. I'm going to do it. Okay. 
So, Dave, uh, today is a pretty fantastic day in American history. Word. That's right. That's right. So, um, do you know why it's a it's a good day in American history? Hmm. Uh, the 26th of February, American history. I'm going to say... No, I have something with Black History Month, maybe? No, a good guess. You're in the right month, obviously. But it's a big day in American history because today the Grand Canyon became a national park. That's right. Oh, I know where this is going. That's right. It was the 15th site to become a national park, Dave. It is often considered one of the natural wonders of the world. So true. Our friend Mr. L. Hefe May has performed a rim job in slightly less than 12 hours there. Very impressive. He very, did do that. Very he did impressive. Do that rim job, indeed. <laughs> now, uh, I found this a little odd, actually, when I was looking at this. Uh, but they actually, it said this on the, the Wikipedia page when I was going through this, and then I checked out the actual numbers. But, um, uh, they have the second most visitors of any national park in America at the Grand Canyon. And the one place that has more visitors is the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And Interesting. Like, like, I mean, no offense to the Smoky Mountains, but... It's I mean, no Grand Canyon. Yeah, I mean, the Grand Canyon, its name is Grand. So true. I mean, they didn't even come up with another name for it. They weren't like, oh, this is obviously Ted's Canyon. They were like, it's Grand Canyon. It doesn't even need a yeah. name. But anyway, oh, since this is uh, the day, to the day, 101 years ago, the Grand Canyon became a national park, I thought we'd do some hot takes of history Grand Canyon style. T H. Takes of history. Yes, H T H. Dave, the first human artifacts in the Grand Canyon are about twelve thousand years old. Jeez. Yeah. And and from the Paleo Indian period, uh, basically from that time on, from twelve thousand years ago. Uh, there have been different Native American groups that have lived continuously in the canyon. Of course, until uh, white settlers came and pushed them off of their lands. But there were 12,000 years they lived actually in the canyon, Dave. In the canyon. HTH! HTH. <laughs> of history. Dave, the canyon, as I mentioned, wasn't explored by Europeans for several thousand years, even though people were living there. Now, Europeans uh, didn't properly map it until around 1800s, although it is believed to have been visited by Garcia Lopez de Carnetas hmm. uh, in uh, 1540. Oh, wow. Yeah, Garcia Lopez de Carnetas. Hmm. Card... Cardenas. Hmm. Cardenas. There we go. Cardenas. So, you got it. Yeah, I had to do it a couple of times, but it came around. It came around. Um, it rolled off the tongue eventually. Nope. I got to be honest, Dave. Can you imagine, like, not knowing that was there and just sort of, like, stumbling onto the Grand Canyon? Like, just walking through the yeah, Southwest and all of a sudden you're just being like, 
Whoa. Jeez. Anybody know this was here? <laughs> like, where did this come from? This a giant dragon didn't bore this hole out, did he? Jeez. I'm a little frightened by what made this giant hole in the ground. Like, it has got to be a little bit awe-inspiring when you walk up to this giant, massive, hundreds and hundreds of miles long, mile-deep hole that you're just like, What? How do we even go around it? That's a fact. How did... What? Like, yeah. So weird. HTH. HTH. Hot, hot, hot takes of history. Dave, in 1857, Joseph Ives, Ives with a V, became uh, the first explorer to fully explore the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon. So, Ives was a soldier, a botanist, and an explorer, and he took an expedition down the Colorado. That's right. He reported his findings of the place uh, where people had lived for 12,000 years in a report titled, Report Upon the Colorado River of the West. Oh, yeah. Uh, Up until that, Dave, no American had really explored the Grand Canyon, and they actually titled it, on uh, maps, the Great Unknown. They just wrote Great Unknown on it. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, after uh, he did this, Joseph Ives took a really weird turn. So true. Um, because despite being born in New York, when the Civil War broke out, Joseph Ives turned down a promotion to be a captain in the Union Army and join the Confederate Army. Hmm. What? And he's from New York. Like... Oh, a traitor. Their mascot is the Yankees. And he went to the Confederacy. What? Hmm. Then, after the war, after the war, he went back and lived in New York until he died. Like, what? How do you explain that one when you just show back up and you're like, hey, guys... Where was I for five years? Don't worry about it. No big deal. Nope. Anyways, back to normal, am I right? Like, so <laughs> weird. So weird, Joseph Eyes. HTH. HTH. Hot, hot takes of history. Uh, John Wesley Powell was the second dude to go exploring in the Grand Canyon. He also fought in the Civil War, Dave, but he fought on the Union side. Okay, uh, in okay. the Battle of Shiloh, he lost most of his arm. Jeez. A mini ball oh, exploded through his arm. Ew. Yeah. Oh, uh, my goodness. Not a good way. Not a good way to lose an arm. There's not really no. any good way to lose one, but that's definitely but that's not, not up there. No. Not the way to do it. No. Then after the war in 1868, he led this expedition to the Grand Canyon. Uh, he decided to go on rowboats with 10 other men. And, you know, n- no offense to his uh, affliction, but I'd be like, dude, can't we get a steamboat? I mean, you know. Come on, bro. Like, but yeah. <laughs> he went. He went rowboats. He went rowboats. Uh, that's tough. And uh, so most of the other guys in this expedition participated in the Civil War. And I got to be honest, if I'm one of these other dudes, I'd be like, man, we just finished fighting a war, and you got your arm blown off, and now you want to go down a dangerous, unexplored river? Oh, come on. 
Pump the brakes, no, man. <laughs> Come on. I hear Key West is pretty nice. Maybe there's some <laughs> coves that we haven't explored yet there. Let's try that. So true. Like, jeez. Anyways, they explored it. He became the second director of the U.S. Geological Survey. Yeah. Yeah. John Wesley Powell. HTH. HTH. Hot, hot, hot takes of history. Dave, uh, Mary Elizabeth Coulter was one of the first prominent female architects in America. And she created several buildings that still stand in Grand Canyon National Park. Yes! Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she uh, she created the Hopi House, the Hermit's Rest, Lookout Studio, Desert uh -huh. View Watchtower, Bright Angel Lodge, and the Phantom Ranch at the bottom of the canyon. Yeah. Wow. She actually created a whole new genre known as parkitecture. Not making that up. Parkitecture. That's right. Yeah. Parkitecture. Yeah. That sounds very hipstery. It's well, hey, she was she was hip in it. She was she hip. was ahead of her time. She was hip in it at the start of the 20th century, the 20th century, man. So true. Uh yeah. HTH. HTH. <laughs> of history. Uh, Dave, Benjamin Harrison, 23rd president and former senator uh, from Indiana, was the first person to introduce legislation to make the Grand Canyon protected lands. Yes! Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, even though he introduced that legislation, it didn't pass. Oh. Yeah, he brought it up in the Senate in 1882. And apparently, back then, the senator's like, eh. Not too impressed. Nope. No, I don't <laughs> think it. I don't think it needs to be protected. Build some houses on that canyon. Like what? He tried it two more times, and both other times it still failed. Girl, come on. Yeah. It didn't actually become a national park until Woodrow Wilson's presidency. Yeah. Crazy. Good old Woodrow. Woodrow. The old. The old double double. Double W. Uh, all right. H T H. HTH. Hot, hot, hot takes of history. Dave, last HTH here, and it's not really a, a historical fact, just sort of a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, some people <laughs> think that bighorn sheep, or perhaps the Gila uh -huh. monster, are the most dangerous okay. animals that live around the Grand Canyon, but it's not. Sure. It's actually well, the rock worse. squirrel. What? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Every year, dozens of visitors are bitten by these ferocious animals when they try oh to feed them. Goodness. That's right. Girl, come on. That's oh, right. Man. The rock squirrel. Yes. They're pretty cute little squirrels. I'm looking at them now. They would I'd feed one. Watch but out. I'd throw it at I'd throw it. Yeah, to I was about not. to say. But you're not supposed to feed them. You're not supposed to feed them, so don't. Nope. You know I'm a rule breaker. No, 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 Dave. Leave no trace. Leave no trace. <laughs> All right, that's been HTH, Dave. It's time to get in our second birthday suit. I'm a little worried Let's about do this it. one. Here we go. Born on February 26, 1953 in New Haven, Connecticut. Our mm -hmm. birthday suit wearer always loved music and at the age of 22 started recording his own music. 
When he started in music, he was focused on hard rock. Word. And actually opened for many famous hard rock bands. But he first gained success as a songwriter when he wrote the, uh, when he wrote the song, How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our birthday suit wearer eventually found his own success when he remade Otis Redding's song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. His height of popularity was when he remade the song When a Man Loves a Woman in 1991. He won a Grammy for this song. He became a fixture in popular culture, making appearances in commercials, TV shows, music videos, even a song with the group Lonely Island. There was also a character in the 1999 movie Office Space with his name, and that character hated the musical artist we're talking about right now. Hmm. He had, when he started his career, luxurious blonde locks, Dave. Name that Hmm. birthday suit wearer. Dang, I'm trying to think of the Lonely Island. and um, I'll give you initials. M.B. Okay. M.B. Oh, Michael uh, B. As in boy. Michael Buble. Close. Close. Thank lightning. Huh? Lightning. Lightning. Bolton. Bolt. Lightning. Oh, that's what it is. Michael Bolton. Dang it. I'll give you 50. I'll give you 50. You got Michael. You got Michael. Yes. Uh, You had another crooner. And to, to Michael Bublé's credit, I, uh, I think he's got a little more popularity. And some people, I'm not jumping in. I'm not going to say it. Some people would say more talent. I'm not going to say anything. Nope. I'm not I'm saying not it. I'm not going to say it either. I'm not saying it. But Michael oh, Bolton. Oh, using the Jack Sparrow song. That's what it was. That's it. You are correct, yeah. sir. You are correct. Yes. Dang it. Yeah. When a Happy man, birthday, Michael Bolton. When a man loves a woman. When a That Some jam. people might say you have more talent than him too. Whoa, whoa! That was in a that was in a rough falsetto, Dave. I didn't bring the heat on that. Let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. Michael Bolton <laughs> turning the big six seven. Wow! I didn't know Michael Dang. Bolton was that old. Man, getting up there, Michael. Looking good for sixty seven. Looking solid. Yeah, man. All right, Dave, we are going to take a break. We will be back with Leah Song of the fantastic group Rising Appalachia right here on the Doc G Show. Song until it ends. We are winners. 
numbers, champions of the light, forming in numbers and might. Keep the truth close inside. Medicine woman, medicine man, walking with grace. I know your face and I trust your hands. Medicine woman, medicine man, walking with grace. I know your face and I trust your hands Find your teachers in the voice of the forest Some plug you can't ignore this Wisdom of the voiceless Remedies are bountiful and surround us From the garden to the farthest Prayer made of stardust Find your healing in the music that calls you The voice that enthralls you What do you belong to? Eyes out, there's the setting of the sun Give thanks to each and every one the lesson is the medicine woman, medicine man, walking with grace. I know your face and I trust your hands. Medicine woman, medicine man, walking with grace. I know your face and I trust your hands. Welcome back to the show today, everybody. Today, we are extremely lucky to have a founding member of Rising Appalachia. I uh, recently heard their music called Hillbilly World Music. I really like that genre title. Uh, but regardless, today we are joined by founding member Leah Song. Leah, how's it going? It's so lovely. I don't know that I've ever heard Hillbilly 
world music. That's a nice genre. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard it, and I said, you know, that that was actually described, your music, and I said, you know what, that that fits. I like it. That's it. Let's take it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, so for the listeners that don't know, you and your sister are the, the founding members of the group. Uh, you guys grew up in uh, Atlanta, and listeners of the show know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Atlanta. My brother went to uh, Georgia Tech, and I spend a lot of time right. there. Um, what do you, what do you think when you look on your, your music career now, what do you think you got from that time growing up in Atlanta? What, what is present in your music that came from that experience in Atlanta? Yeah, totally. We, um, we had a really interesting upbringing. We, we grew up in downtown Atlanta, right in the center of the city. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were really, really deeply influenced by the music of our peers and the music of our era, which was so much of the funk and soul and a massive amount of hip-hop that was coming out of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and then our, our family, our mother, was very, very immersed in sort of traditional Southern roots music. Mm -hmm. So she, she took us to gospel Sundays and sacred harp singing and fiddle, Appalachian fiddle, uh, gatherings all over Georgia and then later on further in the South. So we really benefited tremendously from what I think an American city has to offer, which is that there was so much cultural vibrancy and diversity and there were such so many different versions of, of different Southern influences um, and world influences For sure. all across our upbringing. Well, you, you you mentioned your parents uh, sort of uh, pushing the, the the Appalachian influence on you, giving you the influence, and I saw actually, uh, and you've mentioned it a couple times how you, you went to to fiddle camps, and uh, gr growing up, I've, I I got a feeling that that probably didn't did did that not feel like a cool thing to do? Nope. Did were you sort of dragged to those, or or did you we guys were actually totally? <laughs> We were totally dragged to them. <laughs> <laughs> I, yep, I, I'm guessing it, now you, you feel like you appreciate it now, though. Yeah, you know, we, we had, our, we were so lucky. Our family was really involved in folk music from the time we were born until the current day. And so it was consistent. Nice. They didn't change genres or anything. They had us in, <laughs> they dragged us around to all these different events, you know, nice. from a very, very young age. And when we were little, you know, it was really amazing. We were surrounded by live music and we were in all of these different parts of the rural South, you know, hearing music and being part of the dance community and then also fishing and climbing trees. And, you know, it was a really beautiful yeah. kind of counterpart to the urban South. But then, of course, as soon as we hit the horrible years of teenagerhood, you know, you could not catch us yeah. anywhere near those camps without a scowl on our faces. <laughs> yeah, that feels, uh, you know, I feel like it'd be a little bit harder. You got you got to be you got to be a unique individual to be okay with that when you're when you're growing up in high school. That definitely right. doesn't seem like the coolest thing to do, but uh, I actually yeah, right. I saw you guys performing at the Pace Studios just a little while ago, and your mom actually jumped in 
and uh, and played the fiddle with you guys. That's right. Now, does that happen often, or uh, does she usually shy away from the performances? You know what? Our mama and our whole entire musical community are such enormous teachers of ours, mm-hmm. and she has an ensemble called the Rosin Sisters that are three women that all play fiddle and guitar and banjo, and they all three sing, and they're incredible. They, they can play circles around us, <laughs> but they are... <laughs> But they see so much shyer. We can hardly ever get her to join us on stage, which, you know, there's a real, I think there's an honorable trait to that for her. Music is just absolutely part of her daily expression. And, and she's not nearly as comfortable on stage, but every now and then <laughs> we can twist her arm and get her to join us. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it does. It, it shows a, a true passion for the music and not the, the performance just the exactly. expression of the art. Um, so as far as your, you know, musical career after, after high school, you, you weren't, uh, it, it didn't seem like you were really thinking about <laughs> music. Uh, you, you, you no. tra- traveled internationally. Um, what, what was the idea of those travels <laughs> and looking back now, um, what do you, what do you remember most about those? Yeah, that was such a, deeply powerful and vibrant part of my life and I definitely wasn't considering music as a career at all Mm -hmm. Um, but I I knew I would be in the arts and we grew up in a a lower class family and there wasn't funding for any of the big art schools that I really wanted to go to and and so I didn't I didn't I wasn't quick to settle on, Mm -hmm. on anything I really wanted to use those years to experience the wider world and my my folks said you know you can travel but make a plan make a plan and make a program for yourself and take it really seriously and I did I the bulk of about six years traveling really pretty thoroughly I worked on farms um in Latin America and I trained in, in meditation and mindfulness in India and I and I traveled by train across Europe and I worked day labor jobs for all of those years, I wasn't on any kind of a, you know, allowance by my family. If, if I were going to travel, I was going to take care of my own, nice, you know, now. life. And um, so I learned all kinds of things. I learned all kinds of things about working class people from all around the world and, and, and what it felt like to be very much a minority in language and in, mm-hmm. and in, uh, identity and in many other ways as a traveler, which I think is a lesson that uh, all of us would benefit greatly from from understanding that feeling, you know, if, if it's not something that is already built into our lives. And Exactly. I was I was getting and, I was getting ready to ask, uh, you know, biggest takeaway, if more people traveled, what would they realize? Because I, 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 yeah. I haven't traveled nearly as much as you, but I think, you know, if people got out there a little bit more, they would realize essentially we're we're all the same and we're all the same and we experience the same things and 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 to be in that minority it's 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 not the it's not the most fun place it's a humbling place it's very humbling and it also gives you such it's so eye-opening to realize how many different ways of life there are Mm -hmm. and and you're right there's a common thread between all of them and it's i think it's an amazing um 
I think it's an amazing position to stand in to to not be in in at ease in a common culture. You know, it just gives you such a different lens to observe the world around you. And yeah, that was an amazing, amazing part of my life that I didn't set up on purpose, but but just was so informative to the way that I will move for the rest of my life, the way I will view. Uh, everywhere that I go and the communities that I live in and learn from and it's it's it was a, absolutely a life uh, lifelong lesson yeah I I, I think yeah, to to a much smaller degree I got a, a similar experience is uh, I, I grew up in in the middle of nowhere Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains and then I, I, I nice. went to college at the University of Miami and oh wow yeah so a big <laughs> change <laughs> yeah and you know it's still it's still one of the most uh, um international uh universities in in america as far as its uh its uh, diversity and you wow. know the more mm-hmm. i met people from different places the more i realized all the cultures were the same there were the same things totally. that people wanted out of life and expected out of life and you know, they may look, it may look a little bit different, you know, but it's, it's, it's essentially, it boils down to the same thing. You, you have the same loves, Absolutely. you know, um, well yeah. to, to music on to music, you guys started rising Appalachia, uh, with a recording that you actually, uh, you made for your parents. It was, it was a gift. Yes! And, uh, first I have to ask. Were they were they happy with the gift? Hmm. I think they were really honored. You know, I mean, they didn't know it was coming, and we wanted to just give them a, some homage to how impactful it was to be raised with music, and then we didn't take it too serious. We we just tracked some of our favorite songs that we knew from our upbringing and put it together and thought that that would be that, you know, it was basically an art project for us. Nice. <laughs> we never thought it was a career move. Well, you know, what I love about that album, uh, for the listeners, it's still, it's, it's still out there. That's the thing that I love. It's totally still out there and absolutely unedited in any way. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's, that's what I love because a lot of, you know, a lot of artists get out there and it's, it, it might not be them, it might be their out their their you know their label or or somebody affiliated with them, but they take it off right. or they change it or they right. remaster it or and that's it's it. I went back and listened to it yesterday. I listened to some of the songs and you know I mean that's great. It, it it I I feel you know it's good there as far as a rawness. You can go back and you can see the changes over over the years. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like on that al- album, like you said. Uh, it was it was more of homage there was it was it was more folk it was more appalachian there wasn't really that international influence that hip hop influence yet to a right. large degree hmm. um, was that was that a slow well, was, evolution did you get more of that as you went through the albums you know i would say honestly it's it feels to us like the same exact template that we are still using now even though i do think that as musicians we have obviously gotten more ornate and hopefully more finessed Mm -hmm. but even in that first album you know we put we put a drum rhythm under an old traditional appalachian tune that was very much unheard of we put a, a, a beautiful new orleans jazz trumpet player 
joined us on an on an Appalachian ballad about chitlin cooking. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it was actually pretty much the same template in that album as you get to this day. Nice. Uh, hopefully, we've developed, you know, as our musicians and as curators in our own way. But I, I, I kind of, I kind of find that we haven't changed the recipe too much. You know, we, yeah. we had so much positive you know response to that album it launched our entire career and we didn't we weren't planning a career so (laughs) (laughs) so we really have used that as a bit of a template in a lot of ways nice nice well uh with that with that album uh you guys weren't really you know like like i said it was it was a gift and like you you made up you took it as an art project but you were invited to do a, a holiday party, Celtic holiday party, uh, by a by a professor a professor of Irish studies, and um, you know that really started. You you guys sold all the albums that you had created. You created five hundred. You sold all of them. Um, have you have you gone back and talked to that professor and been like, look what you started? You see what happened here? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean. That's the interesting thing is that we met the, that professor of Irish studies mm-hmm. at a holiday party. However, yep. he invited us to participate in one of Atlanta's largest. Um, it's called the Atlanta Celtic Christmas, and so it was a it was a eight hundred person concert over a three day weekend, and we sat on stage with Grammy award winning banjo player wow. Alison Brown was part of it, and and folks that flew in from Quebecois, Cape Breton fiddlers and Scottish and Irish dancers. And, you know, it was a really pretty highbrow concert that yeah. came that was that is where we really started our career. And we did that concert for several years, and then we were picked up and brought into part of a documentary that, that still is featured every season in Georgia and in a couple of other PBS stations that is all from that relationship with that with that professor who nice. really ended up seeing something in us. You know, he was a theater professor and a, and a professor of Irish studies, and he saw something in us that I don't think we had any clue was there. <laughs> and, you know, he really coaxed it out of us. He said, you have a really unique voice as Southern women immersed in this Appalachian music, Irish ancestry, yeah. but also very urban. And he... He really did kind of coax that out of us in a way that I don't, I don't know that we would have found on our own, and our family wouldn't have really coaxed it yeah. out of us because it was just what we did, you know. Yeah. Nice. So he gets a lot of credit. <laughs> well, and there we have a few godparents in, in that department who really <laughs> brought this project to life, you know. Well, so from that from that holiday concert uh, to you guys sort of deciding to go to a musical career and you guys busking in uh, New Orleans how did you how did you make that transition what what was it like sure. in between there of deciding you know sure. what this is what we're gonna do hmm. you know it was it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty endearing story we kind of just followed the states and we were playing music a little more often in Georgia and, and we were both taking classes part-time at the nearby university. And mm-hmm. um, we we were starting to play a little bit more 
frequently, but still not, not a lot. And we moved down to New Orleans after Katrina. Um, mm-hmm. When Katrina hit, we went down there to support a lot of our friends and family who are longtime musicians and artists and activists based in Louisiana. And we went for what we thought would be a couple of weeks. Um, and we realized not only were we very, very in love with the city and the culture of the city, but also that there was a, a lot that we could learn from and study from and a, and a lot of ways that we could also support in the rebuilding. Yeah. And um, we we moved down there. We ended up staying two weeks, became seven years, just like that. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and that's a big change. I, I feel like that was a really big, big, important chapter of Rising Appalachia as well, because... In New Orleans, the musicians are royalty, yeah. you know, and we had never lived anywhere where you were so respected as a musician and your voice was really sought after. And yeah. so we, we really, we really received such an, a beautiful welcoming into that city. And we spent years and years just training and playing on the streets and meeting all the other musicians and hearing their stories and learning different tips about how to tour and you know, just being immersed in what I would literally consider a musician's village. And I think that move in those years is what really, really kind of clarified uh, our purpose as musicians. We felt um, inspired and we also felt really, like, well-focused in a way. We were really well-sharpened being there. And we recorded out an album down there and we worked with so many different full-time touring musicians and it was it was a a deep 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 part of our musical world so we we kind of call these three regions our our musical and our sort of regional trinity between the urban the urban south and the rural appalachian southern appalachia and then the deep deep culture of new orleans that sort of completed our our musical circle and has nice. really locked us in on the path we've been on for quite a while. Yeah. Well, you, you guys seem like in your, in your musical careers, uh, you, you've embraced the idea of, of being the troubadours of, of immersing yourself in that culture, understanding where you're at, regardless of how long you're going to stay there. Um, totally. you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna sponge it up. Um, did you guys decide that or was this sort of just an evolution as you were going you know you're like yeah this is this is we need to experience everything we need to be those mm. traveling musicians mm. no i think i think we were those traveling sort of sponges before music <laughs> and so as the music came in we got very clear that it wasn't going to ever be about the same and you know, the glitter and the glam of, of the music industry. In fact, that's something we've struggled with for, forever. Um, but it feels so much more like a cultural purpose. And, and you know, in a way, like our, our bigger responsibility is to kind of collect and gather these stories and then share the stories. And there's not a lot of room for the, for the modern storyteller right now. We're kind of hungry for that, I think, in our culture. And that is so much more part of what we do than than I think what is your typical music industry world, which is which is fast paced and yeah. and heavy hitting, and you just grow more and more and more fans. And 
you know, we're very thankful for our growth, but we're, we're more thankful for the places where we have cultural overlap and where we get to share spaces and share stories and share meals and really understand the places that we're we're brought to so it, that matters to us i think the most of all and and i think that's the case for every one of our band which is uh, a big part of our draw to one another yes! you know musically yeah. and beyond well i i think you know that's it's one of the things i find amazing about your musical career you know i interviewed a lot of bands and i've talked about you know, major labels, minor labels, independent labels, and and you guys have none. Nope. You you know you have we no have <laughs> you you have no label influence, but like y- you don't want it, and you have millions of streams on Spotify with no promotion. You know, there's yeah. there's millions of listens, and it, and it's and it's real. You know, it's 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 real listens of of making those connections over that time. And it's 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 very yeah. impressive, and it's you know it's it's like you've said before, it is it's an alternative, definitely an alternative to what you usually see in the uh, in the music industry. It's it's very impressive. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, on that traveling troubadours, I wanted to ask about two uh, experiences that you've had that that really stuck out to me. Uh, the first one was about three years ago. You guys went sailing around British Columbia and sort of performed port to port. Um, Where did the idea come from that sailing tour and and what do you remember from that experience? Oh, that was one of the most amazing tours by far. I mean, that that we will ever go on. And um, we started a project. I mean, basically, our whole entire career we've been touring in what we call the slow music movement Um, but we kind of gave it that title about five years ago when I was invited to do a TEDx talk Mm -hmm. and I needed to needed to classify and clarify and really explain this sort of movement that we were trying to create and so we started and titled it the slow music movement and like everything I think in life when you give something a name it really gives it a lot of power so everyone got really curious. Well, what is the slow music movement and what does that mean? And what are some parts of it? And so we had a, a dear friend who had already been sort of experimenting with touring by sailboat and working with a lot of different small farm communities. Um, so you would sail to islands that didn't really get a lot of cultural events or travelers because they were pretty remote islands and then create an event there. Um, And he really spearheaded that idea called Seed to Seed. Nice. And and he invited us to to really be kind of the musical ambassadors for one of the bigger ones that they took on. So we did a three-week tour with three boats. Nice. And we sailed to about seven islands in kind of northern north of Vancouver yeah the Salish Sea and you know it it was an amazing amazing experience you get on the boat and you travel three miles an hour (laughs) for 16 hours to get to the next show (laughs) which is you know we're still on tour you're still touring but you're going three miles an hour and it was so refreshing and Really, really inspiring. I, I get a feeling I would be cold that whole time. Yes. Was it cold? No. 
You're not cold. You're not. I mean, you do see some snow, but also <laughs> the water is stuck. No, 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 it's good. There's some cold, but there's some snow. It's good. Don't worry. Everyone swam. Everyone at least jumped in. Oh, jeez. Jeez, I don't know if I could do that. That sounds tough. That sounds tough. Um, <laughs> the other experience I wanted to ask about was a little bit more recent. Uh, a couple years ago, you guys performed at Sterling Prison, uh, the largest male correctional facility in Colorado. And when when I heard this, I obviously I got a picture of, of Johnny Cash at, at Folsom Prison, right? Except Leah, right. Uh, Leah and Chloe, and uh, you know. right. <laughs> uh, what what did you what did you get out of that experience? What did you what did you find? Yeah, um, that's sort of a pet project for me. I mean, that's not really the right terminology for it. Um, it's a little belittling, but that is a big passion, I should say. For for me, I. I was a really kind of rebellious kid, and mm-hmm. I started working in, in juvenile detention centers um, pretty early into my 20s, just because as a, as a traveler, I started realizing so many of the people that were getting in trouble were were the ones that were oftentimes really curious, really mm-hmm. rebellious, you know, they weren't given the right guidance, they, they were really, they questioned a lot about what our modern society is offering as normal. Yeah. So I I started doing prison advocacy and prison justice work many, many years ago and have partnered with a lot of different organizations and gone in kind of independently or with a small group of folks to do movement and mindfulness work. Um, but that's the very biggest operation that we've ever attempted where we brought in the full band and a small sound stage and, you know, a yoga teacher. And we brought in an entire host of volunteers that were all doing interviews and getting stories and recordings from the folks that were in there. And we were in for about 11 hours. Nice. It was a a full day event. And we worked with our incredible partners, which is a project called Guayaki, which does a lot of work around recidivism and um, prison justice and you know it was completely amazing nice. there's no way to really explain all of the different emotions that you go through yeah. to go go into those spaces there's there's a fear to get in the door and then there's an incredible humbleness when you get into conversations with folks who are very much just like you and your and your people and your family and your father and mm-hmm. you know you see so many similarities and you just see like one wrong turn yeah you know can completely change a life and there's 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 just so much humanity in those spaces even though they're really really Although very we intense, tried to drive very it out. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We really do. And we had, in a way, we really felt like our music was more appreciated and more received in that space than perhaps anywhere that we've ever played because there's yeah. a, such a hunger for it, mm-hmm. you know? And the response was so much like, you know, thank you for coming in and let the outside world know that we're still in here and we're here and we're human and we have a whole 
wealth of feelings and emotions and just let them know that we're here you know and that was the request and yeah. I think so many folks just feel really forgotten and some have really committed some heinous crimes and some have gotten there for a whole series of other reasons you mm-hmm. know and it's really it's a really <clears throat> complicated and important conversation I think that we have in this country as the the nation that has the largest amount of our own citizens behind bars. I mean, we're, we're visiting our own people who could be such enormous contributors to, to our to our country, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think it's easy. Well, well, two things, you know, li- like we said about international travel, I think when you uh, meet individuals that have spent time in prison or are in prison, you realize, like you said, they're, they're just like us. There's, there's really... There's, they're they're human. They're human too, and they they're they, human. You know, and and I try to tell people, especially on on like you said, on some of those one wrong turns, the only difference is they got caught and you didn't. Oh, you know, oh like yeah. That's and and it's 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 not fair in a sense in that way. And it's like you said, it's much easier for most people to sort of just say, well, they they did wrong. They're they there. I don't have to think right. about them. So uh, yeah. It's definitely definitely important, and it was a. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was a. It was a powerful moment. Um, it was very powerful. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk real quick about your new album, uh, Ley Lines. Uh, very great album. It was your first album that you recorded with an outside producer. Um, it's yep, that's true. Joe Henry, uh, and you you have two amazing features on this album. Uh, so you have Annie DeFranco and uh, Trevor Hall on this album. So first, uh, Annie seems like a uh, a big influence in your career. Um, he is. How did you uh, How did you find out about this? Like as far as uh, starting this this feature, and uh, what was the experience like? Um. So Annie has been. Uh, a musician that we've listened to since we were very young mm-hmm. as a kind of as a rebellious young woman making her name in, in the arts mm-hmm. you know before before music was even a blink in my eye <laughs> I was so influenced and inspired by her story just just that she was out there making it and making it you know in a different way and in a rebellious way and so she's She's always been a really big inspiration to mm-hmm. us. And, um, you know, I think that we have at this point in our careers, we've had a whole lot of crossover between our between our communities, between our musicians, between the festivals that we're hired at. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of different peers that kind of work with one or the both of us. Mm-hmm. And so we've been introduced many times to each other and when we put this album together we were thinking about that particular track and it just felt so Ani DeFranco-esque I mean I think that her influence is in the writing of that song and we said this would just be amazing to have her voice in here and just to have her spirit in this in this track so uh, it was it was a pipe dream, and we put the call out, and we reached out to her team, and 
And she said yes. And I think hopefully it will be the beginning of a lot more nice collaborations and conversations. She's also uh, based pretty heavily in New Orleans and doing a lot of work around music and, and also in advocacy. So I... I hope that will be just the beginning. Very nice. Very nice. Well, uh, Trevor Trevor seems a little bit different uh, vibe than your music, too. He seems a little <laughs> bit more uh, island-esque. Uh, how, did, how did you guys get uh, uh, that project together with Trevor? Yeah, Trevor is a really dear friend, and he... He does, he does work in a different genre. He kind of moves in, in more of a kind of neo-spiritual and conscious movement. He does a lot of work with mantras yeah. and, you know, writing, I think, contemporary spiritual music in a way might be how I would describe his mm -hmm. music. And we've been friends, but we have also been such lovers of his voice. He has such a beautiful, strong, subtle male voice and we don't usually work with a lot of, of male vocalists yeah. and we really that song that he's on is what we call a an elemental gospel we wrote it in the traditions of kind of the American southern gospel but we really leaned it towards um, the elements you know the, the, the wild beauty of the planet that we live on and it felt also like just a pretty seamless partnership to bring him in knowing that that's a lot of the way that he writes his own music yeah and also just his incredibly luscious voice <laughs> was we just we were hungry for it you know and i think he nailed it we sent him the track and we wrote some verses and we said you can use our verses or you can write your own verse and he wrote that verse and it's just perfect you know he nails it nice yeah it came out it came out really well he's uh and and side note he's from one of my favorite places in the south he's from Hilton Head and I, I love Hilton Head yes, South he Carolina is. True, South Carolina. One of my favorites. Uh, I noticed you guys are playing Red Rocks uh, with him May 1st this year. Uh, yeah, is that yeah. the first time you guys are have played Red Rocks, or is this uh, a repeat? It's not. Well, it's the first time we will play with Trevor at Red Rocks. Mm -hmm. um, we, have, we had a beautiful show with Elephant Revival at Red Rocks, um, and we had one other. So this will be our third time nice. there. And uh, it's extraordinary. We had never been there ever. Our first time laying eyes at the Red Rocks Amphitheater was from the stage. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> it's been a really, fun, really fun, inspiring. Funny enough, I've to, heard that from from another artist before too. Actually, they never really? seen it, and then all of a sudden you're on stage, like, whoa, okay. Whoa. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's a wild way to see it. Yeah. Um, well, one last question before we let you go. Uh, when you got when we look at your songs on Spotify, I notice uh, "Resilient" is is the leader in streams. It has the most streams yeah. of any of your songs. Uh, what do you think about that song? I, I have a, I have an inkling, but what do you think about that song has resonated with people so much? Hmm. I think. I mean, I think that we're in an absolutely tragic era of divisiveness mm -hmm. in our country and in our politics and in the state of kind of global capitalism. It's just 
so many systems are failing our healthcare system and our prison system and our educational system and, and you know there's just there's so much to feel apathetic about or mortified about or you know just numb about or angry um and i think everyone and from every walk of life is struggling with how to put their their feelings and and sentiments together in this era and i think that song for better or for worse you know for better i should say yeah. my sister wrote that song and she wrote it in one day it came sort of just full throttle out of her yeah after all kinds of really intense things were going on in the country and i think it is just a reminder of our inherent triumphant nature as humans you know yeah. that everyone wants to believe that that is in fact true and that that is in fact possible and that that that's what that song is begging of us and and also inspiring of us is you know there have been dire times in the history of humanity and we have rallied and gathered in our inherent humanness as a collective together all across the world and it's a reminder that that power still exists within every one of us nice chronically optimistic i like it i like it. yeah totally i like yeah. it well leah i want to thank you for coming on the show today it has been a pleasure yeah thank you so much yeah listeners make sure to check out ley lines and all things rising appalachia at risingappalachia.com follow them on instagram at rising appalachia and right now let's hear resilient off of ley lines right here on the doc g show
of dirt, yeah, made of the fine things My father taught me that I'm a speck of dust And this world was made for me, so let's go and try our luck said, I've got my roots down, 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 down And we are back here on the Doc G Show. You just heard Resilient, Best Rising Appalachia. Fantastic song. Thank you to Leah for being kind enough to spend some time talking with me there, Dave. Yeah, it's very nice. Thank you so much. Very. I feel I feel inspired after that conversation. It was. It, it felt yes! purposeful. She put me on a higher plane. I feel like that is true. That is true. Is much a much higher level than I usually get to on this 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 uh, show of ours, Dave. Much higher. Much, <laughs> yeah, we're not that that that, that high. Not that we're, deep. We're not that know. deep. No, we're oh, not. Yeah. You know. And I did. I did have to. She told me I wasn't going to be cold jumping in the water in British Columbia. I don't believe her. Nope. I feel she like doesn't I know you that well. No, she does not know how much I dislike cold. So true. I, I don't think she you understands like staying that. in your comfort zone. Very much so. In warm, warm comfort. 
I like to be warm. I can take warm temperatures. You put me in a 120 degree place, I'll I'll be okay. You put me in a 30 degree place, I'll probably die. What? It, and it, cry. Yes. The yes, I will. Time. I will ball into a ball and cry. Just ask Lonely Highway when I went to their concert on the roof. And it was it was it was only like it was like forty three that night. I thought I was gonna die of hypothermia. It was literally and there was, were heaters there for you. Yeah, but the wind was blowing, and I only had You're this really. I had this really light long sleeve shirt on. It wasn't good, man. Just it trying was to be cool, just fitting. Ba- in. Bad combination. Anyways, I got sidetracked. Thank you Sorry. to Leah. <laughs> From Rising Appalachia, and thank you to Rising Appalachia for those yeah, fantastic songs. Dave, it is time. Last birthday suit. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, here we go. This one, I think you've got. Uh, it's a little bit before your time, but it's in your wheelhouse, so I think you got it. Uh, born on February 26, 1973 in New Orleans. Our birthday suit wearer grew up in the famous Ninth Ward. Yeah. Oh, our our birthday suit wearer grew up loving sports, was a standout football player and track star. Get this. Mm-hmm. He ran the t- 100 meters in 10.3 seconds, the 200 in 21.27, and the 400 in 49.4 seconds. Jeez. That is impressive. Yep, that is impressive. <laughs> but... He received a scholarship in football, specifically to be a running back at San Diego State. In his second collegiate game, he had 37 carries, 7 touchdowns, and 386 yards. Wow. Goodness gracious. Yeah. He was a Heisman finalist all three years he was at San Diego State. He was drafted second overall. By the Indiana Indianapolis Colts. Then in 1999, he was traded to the then St. Louis Rams. He Marshall ended- Falk. Marshall Falk. Nicely How could done. You said you didn't think I was going to get that at the beginning. No, I didn't say I didn't think you were going to get it. I said it's in your wheelhouse, you but it's confident. not in your time. I was concerned. I didn't think Come you would get it. I said I was concerned. You, okay. you, you've impressed me before when I've been concerned, Dave. That's uh, true. That's true. Seven-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, uh, in a NFL MVP in 2000, and the only player to ever amass 12,000 yards rushing and 6,000 yards receiving. Yes. He was inducted into the he Pro Football animal. Hall of Fame in 2011. Mr. Marshall Falk. Yes. Yes. Happy turn birthday, in, Marshall Falk. Ten in, turn in the big 4-7. Four, 4-7, seven. Four, seven, Dave. Yes, indeed. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, seven, man. Yeah, he's getting up there. You wouldn't think that, right? He just, I mean... 50, jeez. He just retired. I mean, okay. I was about to say he just retired. He just retired 15 years years. ago. It's no big deal. (laughs) Only 15. Um, Crazy. Anyways, I mean, still, one of the best. One of the best uh, running backs of all time. Uh, For sure. Dave... Time for me to tell you about the great shows we have coming up. Please we have do. some we have some great shows. Yes! Uh, next week we have the incomparable, the fantastic Hog Slop Band. That's correct. Okay. 
Okay. I, I thought I was going to only interview Gabriel uh, Kelly, their uh, guitar player and singer. Turns out we get the whole band. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that, the week after that, we've got Southern Avenue, Ori Naftali, their guitarist from Israel, moved to oh, uh, Memphis when, in 2013, been dominating the blues scene. They were nominated for a Grammy just this year, 2020. Fantastic. Say what? Uh, Very cool. After that, we have got none other. Then red, uh, red jumpsuit apparatus coming into That's the studio. I know you gotta. <laughs> yeah, and uh, sometimes I'm like, wait, which is jumpsuit red app? No, no, reverse red jumpsuit apparatus. There we go. Uh, they are coming into the studio. Can't wait to talk to Ronnie about their terrific career, Dave. I had to go searching. I had to go. I hope they're impressed. I had to go searching for their vinyl. As you know, in the studio, oh. we have a vinyl of everyone that has been on the show, right? Right. Yes. Red Jumpsuit Apparatus doesn't have a lot of vinyls out there. They came to, to pass in the CD format, and they sort of stuck to that. I had to get a vinyl shipped from Russia. For oh red jumpsuit gosh. apparatus, yeah, I had to pay. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say how much I had to pay. Hopefully, it but gets I, here. In I time. had to pay a pretty penny for this thing, man. So I, I bet. I hope they enjoy it. I hope they enjoy it in the studio. I would. I know I will. And lastly, Dave, we just had confirmed coming the first week of April, we will have none other than the Steel Drivers. Grammy-winning artist, the Steel Drivers, on the show. Very excited. Very excited, Dave. Yeah. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait. But until then, we're going to have to wrap up the show. I've been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, the one, the only, Dave Burles Berlin. Keep it real, guys. We'll see you next week. Yes, indeed. We will see you next week. And until then, zip it up and zip it out. Zippity doo dah.